so I figure this episode is going to be my largest download because of your South African accent. <laughs> I I I don't even know if I have an accent. Um, but thank you very much. It's um, it's an unusual one, isn't it? it? It gets confused with being British. Sometimes I'm referred to as being Australian. Hello, friend. You're listening to the Edited for Content Show, a place where we try to understand a topic by extracting truth from theater. If you like this podcast, let me know, share it, and come back again. My guess makes me feel like I take everything in my life for granted. Host of the Unstoppable Podcast, a voice artist, broadcaster, media coach, and more importantly, a father to a very special little girl. Welcome to the show, Sean Lutz. Sean, thank you for coming. That is an incredible introduction. Thank you. I am beaming from ear to ear. If the ears weren't there, I think the smile would wrap around my face. That's well, awesome. If, well, you're more than welcome and you've earned it. And I wish it was video because they could see this. So I figure this episode is going to be my largest download because of your South African accent. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know if I have an accent. Um, but thank you very much. It's, um, it's an unusual one, isn't it? It, it gets confused with being British. Sometimes I'm referred to as being Australian. Um, and also, right off the bat, I must apologize. If I start to sound American, it's because my ears pick up accents so quickly and my brain computes them and then just simply starts to, to, to mimic them. But I don't mean it in a derogatory way whatsoever. So if you hear twangs coming in... Um, it's all love. It's all love. <laughs> well, I apologize for, on behalf of America, that's my voice that you'll be picking the accent up from. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I must say, I think is awesome. You have a great voice. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, and I, for me, I know, and we're, we're going to start off way off of where I wanted to go, but so I fell in love with the South African accent. There was a movie called The Power of One. And it's a really older movie, but it talks about, and it goes kind of through the apartheid and different things and stuff. And, but there was just, there was those accents in there and, um, but yeah. And, and initially, and initially when I listened to your show, I, I, I thought you were, I thought you were from Australia. I'm not going to lie. And so when I actually, when we were connecting and you were like, so we have to get this time thing figured out because it's it's like what mid afternoon there, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's six a.m. here in Arizona, so we had to figure that. So you're like, yeah, I'm in South Africa, so we're gonna have to figure this out. But I appreciate you doing this. This is great. Um, I want to start with kind of your journey, how you got to here, but it actually starts more than four years ago when you found out you were going to have a child. Yes. So Yes, that's true. So tell me about when you found out that you were going to be a father. Uh, oh, my word. So excited. I was over the moon. Uh, my wife did this thing. I have, a, have a, I have a thing for brightly colored socks. And I even in... <laughs> I even enforced this rule at our wedding that all the guys were to wear brightly colored socks because life's too short for boring socks. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, uh, so when she told me that we were pregnant, um, she presented me with a pair of socks that matched mine. I have these blue and white striped barber socks and she handed me these tiny, teeny, tiny blue and white barber socks as well. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so cool. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So, um, so yes, very excited. Um, and as anyone would be, I was thrilled. And I think, um, having become a father, this it's, it's weird. It's almost like, um, I'd say it's like arriving at a point where you feel your life means something, but uh, there was definitely when Zoe was born, I was like, this is what I've been meant to do. Like I feel so comfortable in this position, um, being a dad. So, uh, and then fast forward, fast forward from finding out I was going to be a dad, fast forwarding to a couple of weeks into the pregnancy. I say a couple a good 20 odd weeks, you know, we're into the second trimester by then. Um, my math's now off. Is that the third? No, that's the second trimester still, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, uh, there in South Africa, it's, I don't know if it's worldwide, but suggested to do certain scans along the way. And I know we had decided not to do the 13 week scan, which was a detailed scan. And I think it was a genetic scan that had to do if essentially they break it down going, you know, if, if it, if there's Down syndrome, that's kind of when you will figure that sort of stuff out. My wife and I were like, well, that really doesn't matter. So we're going to skip this one. And we went in for what was then a detailed scan at around 20 odd weeks, I suppose, um, with a slight scare because they, a blood test had come back and they were a little bit worried about spina bifida. So we went into this particular scan fearing, but hoping for the best, fearing the worst and hoping for the best. And I cannot explain to you how the wind was ripped out of our sails in that consult. A 3D scan, or what are they called? 4D scans. Mm -hmm. And uh, my wife was barely even up off the table. They use those scanning devices with the with the really cold jelly. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the, the technician hadn't even handed her a piece of towel or you know to sort of dry it off and sort of sit up in a chair and she went into a list of things that she found and considered to be wrong with our child uh, she said spina bifida isn't one of them but x y z plus p q r and a b and c you know you have it all so take the weekend and let me know on monday if you'd like to abort because you've left it really late yeah oh my okay yeah. wait 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 so you're at a scan just mm -hmm. a general, hey, we're going to see how things are. Mm -hmm. And it turns into a decision that you may have to terminate the pregnancy. 100%. Oh. Um, it's a perfect stranger because we built up no relationship with this person. Um, and she had then launched into all sorts of procedures that they could do. Uh, that would then, you know, endanger both mom and baby because through the amniotic fluid and their invasive procedures prior to child, prior to birth, um, we decided to go with a second opinion uh, purely because the vibe just wasn't something that sat well with us. Uh, and by that stage, by by the time we got to see a second specialist, the list of things that was quote unquote wrong with our child had diminished considerably. Uh, 
which then means you're again on this path of hope thinking, well, maybe all of these things will rectify themselves. You know, it was just a snapshot in time that was really not a great Polaroid, you know, if mm. that makes sense. Um, and, uh, and that's really, I suppose, where the journey with Zoe began because it became quite um, obvious that she would most likely have special needs to what extent we had no idea uh, but uh, that was that was the beginning of what I suppose could be described as the most epic roller coaster that is now plus on six years long um, and interestingly my take when we walked out of that second um, that second consult that second opinion we walked out of that particular meeting and whether it was that one or the follow-ups, because we tended to go back almost every mm-hmm. second week from then on in. Uh, I kind of sat in the car the one day and I said to my wife, you know, <laughs> I guess it's not going to be a journey that many are used to and that we might not have expected, but Hey, we could be going to the Paralympics. How cool would that be? <laughs> oh, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, I was a swimmer and a swim coach for many a year as well. So, you know, my, my heart had been set on going to the Olympics myself. Um, I, I never got there. I mean, you can see now my shoulders aren't nearly as broad as, as the likes of Ray Nittling or Michael Phelps or uh, Mr. Dressel himself. Goodness right. gracious, what, oh. a, what a meet he had. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that, that's kind of been my outlook from, from the get-go that, this might not be the path we had thought it would be, but that doesn't mean uh, we can't we can't find silver linings through through everything that we're going to experience. So, um, and that was the beginning, I suppose, of what is now, like I said, nearly six years long, a roller coaster ride. So, during this time, these scans and these checkups and these things that you were doing, um, which became more frequently because of the concerns brought to your attention. But overall, how was your, I mean, not we're emotionally aside, but just physically, how was she during the pregnancy? Was she feeling okay? Was she having trouble or was she just fine? She was fine. Um, I think uh, if I speak for my, for my wife to start off with, which she doesn't like me doing much, but um, good husband. No. Yeah. She, um, she had a relatively relatively easy uh, pregnancy a little bit of carpal tunnel syndrome in her wrist towards the end um she didn't feel too ill at the beginning of the pregnancy and baby was kicking and moving a lot so you know that was those were all good signs mm-hmm. um so no from from that standpoint nothing that really made us go hang on a second things aren't going so well here um and then obviously from zoe's scans up until that particular one Growth was great. Um, everything looked fantastic up to the point where, you know, like you said, uh, alarm bells had been rung and concerns were raised. Um, and those were primarily to do with the um, the, vin- the, the ventricles in her brain that were widening and nobody could really figure out why. Um, I suppose because of the scan technology you can only see you can only see so much, right? Um, and the scans through the skin, through the amniotic fluid, into the brain, uh, into the child's skull. You can only see that the ventricles are getting wider, but you can't necessarily see what the brain development or the brain tissue or the because it's not picking up tissue, right. I suppose. 
Um, so yeah, that's as much as we knew. And as you say, as we kept going back for each week's or bi-weekly scans, uh, bi-monthly scans, whatever they were, um, the ventricles, we were always praying would get narrower um, at some point. Maybe that, maybe there was a blockage that had been released or something. Uh, and that obviously never happened. And at that stage, there was also talk, maybe it would just simply require something like a stent drainage and it would be fine. Um, or it wouldn't be, maybe there would be long-term effects, but uh, we didn't know until she was born what direction that would go. Um, and even now, I suppose, there are still questions as to what will and what can be achieved. Um, neuroplasticity is a very interesting thing to me nowadays. Um, I guess I've learned a lot over the last six years and I continue to do so. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where things were. So even so up to the you're getting ready and even on the day of her birth you you <clears throat> you knew that this beautiful child was going to come into your life mm -hmm. that there was going to be an effect you had such a positive outlook and you and your wife had gone through this journey and the day she's born, there had to been this, you're, you're praying for the best, but kind of preparing yourself as well. So if you can kind of run through like that whole birthing process, because I, you talked about roller coaster earlier. I can't imagine the roller coaster of the day she was born. Because it's all of a sudden, it's the end of the roller coaster, and you don't know if it's a brick wall at the end or if it's going to keep going. So, go if you can. What was the day of her birth like? I'll try my best. And as you say, in terms of the end of that roller coaster, in terms of the pregnancy, the number of times we speak about how you know that's the safest she was ever right in the world because she's protected she's inside and you're another human body you're feeding it everything is kind of taken care of because she's inside mom mm -hmm. at the minute the minute they're out it's like watching your heart walk around outside of your body you know to that to that sort of uh extent so when it came to her actual birth she was about five i would say four maybe five days late um it had gotten to the point where um the, the birthing process was underway, but then all of a sudden just halted. And my guess is now that she was just too weak herself to be able to, to make her way through the birthing canal. Uh, and it got to about the Wednesday and we decided, okay, we've done everything. We've done inductions and all sorts. It's now time to go to the route of a C-section, which we had hoped to, to avoid. Um, and Rwanda, my wife had said it was the weirdest thing because up until making that decision, Zoe was kicking and moving and doing all sorts of things. But once that decision had been made, it's almost as though Zoe had gone, finally, I can rest. And she said there wasn't all that much that happened then. The, the, the pains and so forth that she was feeling sort of subsided until oh. Thursday morning when she went in for the C-section. And we both went in together. They allowed for me to go into the, the operating room. And it is, I, I don't know if I can say it's the worst thing, but it is such a painful thing to, to witness the, the needles going in um, as the numbing is being done. And 
I can see on my wife's face how she is terrified of what will be and the fact that she's now can't feel anything for herself and she's relying on everybody else to get her through this part of the journey. Um, Zoe came out and not breathing very well. And that meant a blue purple child went almost immediately into ICU. She was about, I want to say between three and four kgs. Um, we monitor her weight so regularly now that I can't remember what she was when she <laughs> came up, but a relatively long and heavy baby, um, but blue and purple got blue in the face and rushed into the pediatric ICU unit where she was a giant compared to the other kids that were in the pediatric ICU, you know, normally premature babies right. go there. She was, she was far from premature. Um, but obviously knowing that there were some things going on that nobody was 100% sure about, they thought there was a very strong chance that the reason she wasn't breathing well was because of that brain uh, connection, the connection between the brain and the the fact that her breathing control or the breathing system just wasn't really fully developed. Um, in the end, it turned out most likely that it was amniotic fluid and it was probably a C-section birth that had simply resulted in her swallowing fluids and just not really coping too well with that. So despite her spending a, a prolonged time in ICU, um, she came out of that relatively fine. And again, they decided not to do any further invasive tests. She looked great. Um, other than the not breathing all that well when she came out, everything else seemed to be quite fine. So that was how my day started um, with her, with me now in the, I'll take you back to where we were in the operating theater. And there was enough time for them to place Zoe on my wife's chest for them to greet one another and say hello. But that was quickly interrupted. And Zoe was rushed off in one direction. And my wife was then taken in a different direction. And here I stood, not knowing which one needed me more oh. and where I could be of, of the best support. Uh, so I then went to find Zoe. Well, first I have to go and fill in all these forms and tell them what my child's name is and tell them what time she was born. And there I'm sitting, trying my best to concentrate on the little form as I filled it in knowing all the well that my wife's trying to recover from her, her injection and my daughter's possibly not breathing or I don't know what's going on. So that wasn't a great, a great morning. Um, and uh, yeah, from there, the day sort of progressed to the point where, um, where I was going from one room to the other. As my wife came out of her ICU, right, as she recovered from mm -hmm. being monitored and watched and all sorts of things as she came out from, from the, the epidural. Um, then I would go from her bed to Zoe's bed to see who, who was doing what and what was happening. Um, and at the end of the day, I will be honest with you. I sat on the floor in one of the hospital passages broken. Oh. I, I sat with my head in my hands and my hands against my knees and doing my best to hide my face, but like I had nowhere else to, I had nowhere to go other than the floor of the hospital passage. And that's where I finally had a chance to break down, I suppose. Um, and to reconnect with how exactly I was feeling and dealing with going from the one to the other, my wife insisting that she wanted to see our child, but not being allowed to move uh, or walk. Um, but, 
yeah, and my child lying on her chest under under lights and trying to get her breathing stabilized. I couldn't hold her. Nobody could hold her. Nobody could touch her. Um, so it wasn't a great first day in the world, I'm afraid. No, no, no. And the <laughs> the subsequent days after. Yeah, it was were... a good 12 days before she came out of ICU. Um, my wife is an absolute warrior. I, I think you're not supposed to walk or move or drive or I can't remember what the rulings are when it comes to those stitches uh-huh. and the C-section. But she was climbing stairs a day later. Um, she was insistent that she would see Zoe and she would sit next to her and she would spend as much time next to her as much as she could. Um, so she had administered <laughs> she had administered the, the pain medication herself and she was told the morphine, you know, you know, you can only give yourself the the recommended dosage or the dosage you you can only give yourself that much. You can't overdose, um, but you can and you can also do it within certain time limitations, whatever mm-hmm. had been set. Uh, but she got to the point where she was setting timers on her cell phone to remind herself um, to do it that consistently, and then she forgot, and then she was in so much pain that she couldn't keep up with the pain. So she was hallucinating. So I was dealing with my wife who was hallucinating and my daughter who was strapped to an oxygen machine. Hence, hence the meltdown in, on the hospital floor. Um, yeah. Which you earned, my friend. You earned. I, I mean, that's... <laughs> um, was it two separate... Were they on two separate floors? Thank heavens not. Oh, they were yeah. about... They were about... 50 odd meters from one another and oh. um, they were opposite ends of a passage thank heavens oh okay yeah because when you said she was on stairs i have this vision of her like the baby's upstairs she knows it's upstairs mm. i'm going upstairs um mm. so as time progressed and baby zoe got a little stronger what was the predictions of the physicians for zoe you know, Earl, those early days, there weren't any. There was just, let's monitor and let's see. Mm-hmm. Um, let's watch her and see how she develops. Because from from the outside, without doing anything invasive, without doing any MRI scans, without complicating our lives any further, pediatricians were saying, let's just watch. Um Let's not take her to places where there are going to be lots of people where she could be picking up germs. Let's not get her close to anybody that smokes heavily because, you know, respiratory-wise, that she might struggle. Let's not pass her from one person to the next. All the general stuff, I suppose, with a newborn. Mm-hmm. But in her case, let's just be a little more cautious with what she's exposed to. And that's that's how it went. Um, I think um, she... If I think back, she probably didn't hit those milestones of giggling and smiling um, like she should have. But as a new parent, I didn't know to necessarily look out for that stuff. Um, so things really changed two days before she was six months old. It was a routine that we went through daily. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I was hosting an afternoon drive show on a regional radio station. So I would get home after seven o'clock. Uh, which meant my wife would do the feed on her own and Zoe would generally kind of be sort of starting to doze by the time I got home. Um, I would always rush to get back so that we could kind of go through some form of an evening routine, um, a bath and getting ready for bed and so forth. 
And on this particular Tuesday night, that's exactly what happened. Um, and the bath had gone well, everybody was cooing and ooing and eyeing, and Zoe was up on her change table and she just stopped responding. She slowly went gray and I said to Rue, doesn't look like she's, why is she not responding to my oohs and ahs? And immediately we thought, well, maybe she was suffering with reflux because up until that point she had really bad reflux. We thought, well, maybe she has a wind or maybe there's some reflux that got stuck. So, and as I pressed my ear to her mouth, I could hear the following. That was my six-month-old on a change table. So panic stations ensued. Uh, I picked her up, did my best to try and shake a wind out, patted her back. Uh, I was short of turning her upside down. I think I might have. And it just suddenly struck me, well, I guess I have to do some form of CPR or mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, but I've never done this on a, on a baby before. Again, swim coaching, I have some experience because of training, but I've never actually had to implement it. Mm -hmm. But instinct kicked in, and that's exactly what I did, hoping to dislodge or, I don't know, do something, breathe. And in that same sort of swift movement, we wrapped her up, got her in the car, and chased down to the hospital um, where she was born. We live within seven minutes. I can tell you that now because that's how long it took me to get there. Uh, and by the time we got her into e uh, the ER unit saying she's not breathing, she kind of bounced back and started crying or laughing or doing something, crying. She was squealing. Um, and the pediatrician that was on call ran tests and did the things that she needed to do. Um, and, but from the outlook, Zoe was breathing and she was fine. She'd suggested that then that we transfer to a different hospital that had a pediatric uh, ward. Mm -hmm. which this particular hospital at the time did not have. And we thought it probably best to have some overnight monitoring. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much when the wheels started coming off. That led to a lot of tests and follow-ups. And all of a sudden, we started seeing any, any IST, a specialist, anything that had an IST at the end, uh -huh. we had one. <clears throat> so that that's pretty much where the journey and knowing that things were definitely going to be different. That, that's when it really kicked in. Um, her MRI then revealed that her brain hadn't developed fully. And she, what that meant at that stage, we still didn't know. Um, she was, she had failure to thrive. So the reflux was worse than anybody had thought it was. Um, and then we started seeing dietitians. Um, and it was probably three days into that hospital stay where the pediatrician said to us, you know, she thinks we should probably see a neurologist, but there isn't one in the hospital. And they, but there is one, you know, around the corner, down the road, sort of an out of hospital sort of a visit it would be. Uh, maybe we should do that on Monday when, or, or maybe you can go on Friday. I said, I'm just not comfortable taking Zoe home yet because she still sort of turns blue and, you know, the nurses will say to us, she's got a wind. I'm not 100% sure of that. Just I'm just not comfortable to be at home alone. I think we're safer here in the confines of a hospital where all the medicals are around us. 
And she said, cool, we'll stay over the weekend. Monday morning, we were all in Zoe's room and she had recently woken up. We'd gone in to feed her and she just wasn't herself. She wasn't as with it as we, and she wanted to fall asleep again. And we said to the doctor, this just isn't normal. What's, so she hooked up on oxygen. She did all of the things to make sure he was as comfortable as possible. The dietitian had walked in for an appointment to come and see us and speak to us about certain things. And that's when Zoe had her very first grand mal seizure. And she just started ticking. And you can, I mean, a grand mal seizure, a full blown, everything was shaking and vibrating and her eyelids were twitching. And, and at that point in time, she obviously hadn't gotten too much in terms of neurological development and those neurological pathways hadn't formed yet. So the thing that was being affected was her breathing. So the thing that shut down when her brain went haywire was her breathing. Um, so again, pale faced, blue lips, and you know, you've just got flickering eyelids. We were summarily ushered out of the room because we weren't coping with what we were seeing. And that began sort of her epileptic treatment. She was again then transferred from that hospital to another hospital. Um, the Red Cross, Red Cross Children's War Memorial Hospital in Cape Town is very well known for uh, dealing with children. And it's an academic hospital, uh, which meant then we could have a very holistic view of what was the thing that was causing the seizures with Zoe. Um, we stayed there for two months, Earl, I think it was. We were in hospital with her wow. as they tried to figure out what what exactly was the issue. Was it something from... A, um, a gastronomic point of view, the reflux that was causing seizures because they couldn't find anything in the brain in terms of the misfiring and the wiring that was causing. So yes, it was a top-down, bottom-up, sideways in, inside out. What is the thing that we need to treat with this child? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and eventually they picked it on a... Um, on an EEG and they did telemetry and they did, they were watching with video cameras whilst, you know, brain monitoring and heart monitoring and all of the things, which meant you can't touch her or move her or yeah, which was very hard to do with a six month old. Um, and then we now know that she basically has intractable epilepsy, which essentially means that it'll be there forever it's not something that she will grow out of as many people very hopefully say to me when they learn she has epilepsy and and she is so young um and she also has global developmental delays which in essence come down to the fact that her brain didn't fully develop a lot of the white matter isn't there so those ventricles that we saw enlarge in each of our doctor's visits prior to her birth kind of the way i understand it is almost like a riverbed and those banks of the river just don't hold the river anymore the river just gets wider and wider and wider and wider Mm -hmm. and in that sense the brain matter that would hold those ventricles or push up against those ventricles there just simply isn't any brain matter there And that's the white brain matter, if I remember correctly. So a lot of things to do with uh, developmental in terms of coordination is so is very far behind. And hence the global, the the entire body developmentally delayed. Um, Swallowing is 
was hard. Um, consuming anything of a spoon was hard. Reaching out or opening her hands was very difficult. Um, sitting up on her own, she is she was capable of doing, and now we've regressed. Thank you, COVID, for eradicating all that hard work. Um, but uh, hopefully, we'll get back to where she was um, in, in due course. Um, so yes, she is delayed in her motor development um, and the epilepsy obviously doesn't make it any easier because with each seizure, things are regress again and you're trying to build on something. You're building on shaky ground. You know? mm -hmm. Those foundations aren't really there to build on. Um, I've now forgotten what your question is because I've just spoken for a good no, no, 20 no. odd minute. No, no, no. This is, no, absolutely. It, because go, knowing this and going through this, what did they say to you or or what was essentially Zoe's their kind of their predictions or Zoe's um what did they paint Zoe's future as for you um the very first neurologist we spoke to the words that came out of his mouth were Zoe is not a plane you can fix don't expect much from her Let's try and get Zoe to be the best Zoe that she can be. And I heard him say, don't bother. It's a lost cause. She has no potential, uh, which is heart-wrenching. Mm. And the physiotherapist that we were seeing in hospital at the same time, again, academic hospital, so you're seeing all sorts of people simultaneously, basically said to us, the chances of Zoe being able to sit on her own are next to null, uh, and she most likely won't ever walk or stand unassisted. So that's been in our head since she was six months old. Um, speaking over her life, Zoe will not sit, Zoe will not stand, Zoe will not achieve anything is kind of the takeaway. Uh, yeah. So, and the reason we went through, and the reason I wanted my listeners to hear her story and especially the way you tell it is because it brings us to now, which is how you have chose to inspire and embrace people who are beating the odds because Zoe inspires you. What has Zoe done in her life? As, as short as it has been to change your life and start doing what you're doing. Zoe has touched so many people's lives. Um, she is nearly six years old. And prior to lockdown, she learns to sit up on her own. Uh, she can maintain her own body weight. Uh, she can pass things from one hand to the other. So she's crossing the midline. Told she wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, she is ooing and aahing and cooing and giggling. And she locks your gaze. And you are the thing that she wants to hug. Because now she will reach out and she will wrap her arms around you and squeeze you tight around your neck the most divine feeling the first time she reached out for you knowing what you knew or what you were told essentially 
how did that affect you? My goodness, it it makes me keep doing what I do. Uh, and that is supporting her in the best way I possibly can. Um, we implemented a ketogenic diet for her, which is one of the oldest treatments for epilepsy, apparently dating back to the early 1900s. Um, she is still on, she is now on three chronic medications um, as we navigate COVID and lockdown and things. It's been a rough period the last year and a half for her. Mm. But prior to that, we had uh, managed to wean her off of her chronic medications, which is phenomenal. Again, something that they, they said we probably wouldn't be able to do. Um, so she has shown immense tenacity. Uh, prior to her birth, I would, I would refer to her as a warrior um, and a sort of a, an eco-warrior princess. These are the ideas I had for her life. <laughs> and um, she is definitely leaning into that, that warrior status um, she is exceptionally, I mean, I've used the word tenacious, but she really is. Sometimes I think it might be stubbornness that she inherited from her mom, but um, there's, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of uh, stubbornness there for sure. And it's good to have. She is, uh, if she doesn't want to do something, she will not do it. No matter how you try and convince her otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you could say that she probably got that from mom. But um, I think that it's a dual effort. I think it's um, both of you and especially um, going through all of the things you guys did together. Um, mm -hmm. That's a strength. That is something that is truly rare because there are a lot of people who go through something like this and come out the other side not not even remotely strong, but definitely not stronger. And I think that the bond between you and your wife is truly amazing. Um, I think that um, Zoe is just, she's from what, you know, and just listening to you talk about her because, and I'm going to include everything in the show notes You for my listeners. His episodes, when you go, and if you go to YouTube and listen to him or whatever platform you listen to him on, Every episode you start, you talk a little bit about Zoe and you kind of have been going through that journey and sharing that journey. And that's the thing that was just so, it, it's, I've never met Zoe. I've, I know nothing of Zoe except for what you, I've gathered from you, but Zoe is just this, she's, you know, she's. I, I I hate to use a moth to a flame reference, but she just, she draws you in. She just, her story mm -hmm. draws you in. And what she's doing is draw, is, is just a draw, especially when, like you said, essentially you were given, like, there's no reason to even remotely try. Um, what therapies did, or in terms of COVID, you've talked about COVID affecting her progress. In, in what ways, in what ways were things halted or how did that affect most definitely halted i you know when her when she was born we started seeing a physiotherapist almost since day dot uh because there was one in the hospital that she was born in and um, we're very fortunate in that the physiotherapist that we saw from then is still the same physiotherapist that she sees today so she sees the physio on a weekly basis 
we also found her an occupational therapist and a speech therapist. Um, Zoe's pediatrician is phenomenal and her neurologist is also a top draw. Uh, we also have a dietitian on the team. So we have a medical team that we have put together to support Zoe. Um, and in that way, she receives as much input as possible. So in terms of therapies, the thing I've come to learn is the more we can stimulate her, the better for her brain. Uh, in the sense that one of the things that I had learned is the placement of the, the part that controls your eyes in your brain is also very close to the part that controls your hands in your brain. So when we speak about eye-hand coordination, the better your eyesight becomes, the better your hand coordination becomes. And initially, Zoe was wearing glasses and we put patched on the one eye because the other eye wasn't very strong. And as proof of the type of simulation we were doing then and working on her hands, the proof that it was working, ultimately, she doesn't wear glasses anymore and there's no longer need to wear the eye patch because the right eye that was exceptionally weak is now a lot stronger and she can focus and she can hold the gaze and she won't look away, you know, those types of things. So I've learned that if I can, if there's a part of her anatomy that I can, uh, that I can, I'm going to say, yeah, to stimulate, if we can exercise that, it, the feedback back to the brain also work. It's not just the brain down to the fingertips from the fingertips also feeds back to the brain. Um, so using things like a Thera brush, by brushing on her skin and brushing her hands, she giggles. She absolutely loves it. But that's stimulating those neural those neural mm -hmm. pathways, right? It's reacting with her nerves. Um, by using sensory integration as well, I, I believe that uh, essential oils, and a lot of us will know that uh, a sp specific smell will take us back to a particular moment, and it's a very strong factor for us. Similarly, if you were to combine a touch therapy with a smell therapy, it has a stronger influence on the brain and the way the brain is firing and, and can recall things and, and build those building blocks. Um, so it's integrating a couple of things. And so her physiotherapist is the most important for us in the sense that if we can get Zoe to be stable and to hold herself and to build her muscle control, um, the, the more her muscle strength improves, the better her reflux became. That's a weird way of structuring it, but the stronger her core became, the stronger she was able to hold, the better she was able to hold her body, the better those internal muscles were at keeping her food and, and in her body. She was no longer expelling it. Um, so that was a major thing that we, that we worked on. Uh, similarly, to get her oral muscles to work, her mouth muscles to work a bit better, meant that the controlling of her tongue um, feeding back to her brain, she would start to realize that she is taking in food now and she's supposed to swallow as opposed to that being a completely detached situation. If you put fluids in her body, she would choke because she wasn't necessarily computing that there's something in her mouth. Does that make sense? It does. Um, so those types of things to slowly integrate, you know, those building blocks that she just wasn't getting because she wasn't developing along those milestones as a trying very hard not to use the word normal, but as a child would develop through their, their, mm -hmm. um, their explorative play. She just wasn't doing any of that. She wasn't mobile. She wasn't moving. She wasn't reaching out and grabbing things. She wasn't, she wasn't doing anything on her own. You need to do everything for her. 
which means you're putting in lots of time, lots of hours, um, and with the hope of reaping some form of rewards. And, and I think it's safe to say that we, we have. So COVID meant a stop to all of that. Um, oh. her, Rwanda, my wife works for a university and I work in media. And as COVID hit, all of a sudden, those industries were working twice as hard to try and figure out how to cope with the lockdown. Um, and where I, where, where Zoe was seeing a physiotherapist was no longer allowed to come around. Uh, speech was no longer, occupational therapy became impossible. Um, and a carer, we have someone that works with us and works with Zoe on a day-to-day basis and no longer were they allowed to come into the house. So that meant the stimulation went from 150% to if she was getting 75. And in my opinion, we probably weren't even putting 25% in uh, simply because there just wasn't enough resources at hand. The capacity wasn't there. And she had two really bad seizures within the first week of lockdown. And then she was like a quote unquote, like a jellyfish. She becomes almost limp. Mm-hmm. There's not much that she can do for herself. Um, so that had a major, major setback for her. Yeah. Post-dictal, they, yeah. And even in adults, post-dictal states after, you know, major seizures, it, you're right. It's just because your body essentially, mm-hmm. you know, marathon runners don't exert that much energy through a seizure process. So yeah. let me ask you, when did you all of a sudden get inspired to come up with the Unstoppable podcast? I think it was always there. Um, okay, I'll, I'll take you back to a point in during the pregnancy, weird thing, driving, and a phrase in my head was simply uncover extraordinary which over the years I have interpreted as there is something extraordinary in the mundane, in the ordinary, and you simply have to be prepared to look for it or to find it. Um, So that's how I've interpreted this phrase that popped into my head, uncover extraordinary. And I've always wanted to do something with that. So only in the last year and a half have I decided to put together some form of uh, studio that creates content that is inspiring and uplifting. And I figured I can't go that far without doing some of my own. Uh, um, And uh, ironically in putting together unstoppable, I think the inspiration was always there, but it didn't really have a, a clear enough story. And when I started u- utilizing the story that was within to, to showcase other people's extraordinary abilities or the directions that they've got, gone, then all of a sudden it clicked. And I can only put that down to being prepared to be vulnerable, um, being a broadcaster or a presenter for as long as I have. And I was on radio during those two months that Zoe was in hospital and I would walk into the studio going, we're going to have a great show. And two minutes before switching the microphone on, I would get a message to say, she's turning blue again. The doctors are here. We're not sure what we're going to do. And I have to go on the microphone and say, Hey, Cape Town, we're having a great afternoon together. Let's play some tunes. But meanwhile, the back of my brain was not having the same conversation. So I managed to compartmentalize my life 
completely. There was a Sean that operated at home and on air, I was Sean, I was a persona that was just kind of going through the motions. And the longer that went on, the more I was being stripped of who I was. So I think it was ultimately the realization that for me to work through the trauma that I have endured, recognizing that it is trauma, A, was the first thing. And for me to work through that was to become vulnerable and to start telling the stories. And what has been the most incredible response, I can't tell you the number of people that have resonated with the story the way that you have. Uh, For me, that blows my mind because it was never an intention to do that. I was simply feeling that other people saw it because as you know, each of my episodes, it starts with a short story about Zoe, but then it goes into an interview about somebody that I find has done something that I think is quite remarkable and has chosen a different path or has explored something that has been tricky for them um, and has come out on the other side. So that's kind of what I wanted to get to, forgetting that the story that I was sharing about my own life would have such a massive impact on other people. Um, So it was, I suppose it wasn't a very cognizant thing. I didn't set out to tell Zoe's story, but I found myself with a space to go, I want to tell a story and I think I'll do it in sort of bite-sized chunks. Uh, And that's the thing that has resonated so much with people. So I'm grateful for that. Um, Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been a process of learning and growing um, and trying to be more vulnerable. It's difficult. uh, But that that's where we are now. And that would that that led me to this without that, this would never have happened. And that's my then that's the gift I get out of this is that through that I get to meet you and to hear your story and to talk with you, which has been so for everybody who's listening, we've been trying to do this for a while and things come up in your life, things come up in my life. Um, and we finally got the opportunity to do this. And Sean, I cannot tell you how grateful and how um, blessed I feel that you were able to take this time with me and talk to me um, about you, your amazing wife, and this wonderful angel that you have who is just going to, you know, you talked about um, the Olympics earlier and this, you know, kind of this little swimming dream of the, you know, Olympics as it were. And I'm going to tell you, Sean, you shot too low. The Olympics only happens once every four years. (laughs) What Zoe's going to do happens every day and lasts way longer. You shot too low. And I, and that's what Zoe is going to be. And that's, and I just think it's amazing. Sean, how do people find you? Where's your show? How do they get in touch with you? Give us, give us the dirt, man. Well, thank you. You left me a little emotional there. Um, <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk to you and talk through this. Um, it's, it's really cool to know that there are ways to express oneself that reaches others and makes you feel heard. And podcasting is doing that for many people. So congrats on a great show. Um, people can find me simply by looking, I suppose. I can't imagine why anybody would want to, but let's not, let's not do self-deprecation. Um, Uncover Extraordinary is a website that hosts a lot of my stuff. Um, so you can look at that. 
My podcast is called Unstoppable with Sean Lewis, and that is available on all major podcasting platforms. Do go and take a listen. I'd love to hear what, what your thoughts are about those. I speak with uh, tenacious South Africans. There are eight episodes, and my final episode that I did in that particular season is with a, he was 16-year-old uh, gymnast um, who is now himself gunning for the Paralympics. So I'll leave it at that. And that's a two-parter, and it's both parts are really great. Thank you. And otherwise, I'm I'm trying to be active on Instagram. So simply search for my name, S-E-A-N-L-O-O-T-S. It's Sean Lewitz. Um, and there are other Instagram accounts that also lead back to uh, my podcast and the YouTube channel and so forth. But if you follow that one or you find that one, then you'll find everything else from there as well. Yeah, and all I'm putting all of your links are going to be in the show notes. Um, please, any you people, please, 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 take the time. I'm going to tell you what it's, um, it it's going to tug at you a little bit. I'm not going to lie. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a deep story, and it will touch you in many ways. But the the feeling at the end of the episodes and what you get out of it is you have to you have to listen to the show. Yeah, you talked about your young man that the sixteen year old that those two episodes were. He's just he's incredible. He really is. I don't know that I would have his strength, but I don't know if I would have half the people's strength of the people that you talk to but it's just it's been truly a, a, a an amazing thing um sean i would get ready if i was you my friend because people are gonna know you they are gonna they're i'm telling you zoe and you and um what is your wife's name again i her, her name is ruenda which is uh apparently welsh go figure okay she's afrikaans uh i married a, a an afrikaans woman who is the love and the light of my life. Uh, she's a scientist. She's an academic. She has the brains and the wit and the voice and all of the things. I could wax lyrically for, about her. So R-U-E-N-D-A, Ruenda. Well, I want to give Ru and you mad, mad props. And, and again, because um, I feel like we haven't, I mean, we've talked about her, but I feel we haven't given her enough I want to yeah. give her more, you know, so credit. Yeah, yes. we, she needs that credit of everything. Um, but both of you um, just amazing. And again, um, the best for Zoe um, thoughts and prayers always go out to Zoe. And I hate that phrase when it's thrown out for, you know, ridiculous things. But in this in this case, I I have I haven't stopped thinking about you, too, since I first saw your your Instagram and your oh. site. And I and I just think it's amazing. Um but give her, you know, the best from the show. Thank you again so much for doing this. Oh, thank you. And I'm going to send you a video as soon as she starts pushing her wheelchair again, because she was doing that as well, which they said she would never do. You, Yes, absolutely. And I'm going to, um, I have to find, so I have to apologize for my social media ignorance. I, there has to be a way to share your, like your your videos and stuff from Instagram of her, you know, and things that you post because I really want to share it to my audience. Oh, sure. And I'm and I'm learning how to do that. I'm not very I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm don't worry. Yeah. If you've seen my logo to my show and especially you in broadcasting and everything, I'm sure you're like wow, you're a lot older than I thought you were going to be. <laughs> <laughs> 
Not <laughs> at all. I'm loving the fact that we all get to explore different skill sets and and just let those develop as they do. Um, I mean, figure it out on your time, which is what's another thing Zoe has taught me. It will come to you within the time. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. But you'll get there when you're supposed to. I think it's going to be great when she gets to the point where she will actually like throw silverware at you. Because because you're you're gonna have that brief moment where you're gonna be like oh she's upset but then you're gonna be like oh she threw she threw something like <laughs> yes exactly exactly I'm like, yes she threw it at me yeah. you, you can yell at me go for it yes one hundred percent it's the little things and we're just gonna love watching her go through it over time <laughs> Sean again thank you so much for this morning um and uh, you are welcome on my show anytime. Um, and I look forward to seeing your guys' successes. 100%. Thanks, Earl. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to the Edited for Content podcast. Again, if you enjoyed it, let me know, share it, and come back again. Thanks for listening, my friend. Have a great day.